Turn to Romans 4. Romans chapter 4, we shall read from verse 13 to the end of the chapter, but I hope to expound on verse 16 and 17. Romans 4, 13 to 25, but I hope to continue with a series through Romans, and today we come to verse 16 and 17. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why. It depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of, of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's the word of God. The doctrine of reformation, that is justification or faith, uh, or salvation, I mean, uh, is taught in the scriptures alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, for the grace of God alone are as much relevant today as they were in the 16th century. They were then as relevant as they were in the first century. And that's this world chapter is meant to either polish your faith if you have it, or to grow it, or to increase it, or to strengthen it if you're a believer, or to give birth to it if you're not. That it is faith alone 
which is your hope? Obviously, faith in Christ alone. That's what you see written on our walls. That's in Latin. Sola Scriptura. We talk about scriptures alone. And so you see in our service, the Bible, reading or praying the Bible, singing the Bible is absolutely central to our worship. Because it's only the scriptures that are able to make us wise unto salvation. Sometimes you wonder, should we read Leviticus 18 publicly? Yes, because it's able to make us wise unto salvation. It's a word of God. It's a breath of God that gives life. And then we talk about sola fide, that salvation is brought about by faith in Christ alone. So solus Christus, it's Christ alone, not your works. Because this is by the grace of God, as Ephesians 2.8 says. That's the doctrines of Reformation, and they are crowned with the fact that it is for God's glory alone, solidio gloria. So this morning, that's what we are considering. And we are looking at uh, the life of Abraham through this chapter, and we are being basically told here that Salvation was by faith alone in the Old Testament. And Abraham is the proof of that. And David wrote about it. And so everything in the Old Testament is telling us that if you want to be saved, you better have faith. So the way the saints of the Old Testament were saved... It's the same way as the saints of the New Testament were saved, and it's the same way that we are saved today. The way of salvation is the same. When Paul wrote a letter to the Romans, he's telling them salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone. Because of God's grace alone, for God's glory alone. So these doctrines go all the way to Genesis. And so the passage being expounded here is Genesis 15 verse 6. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is our concern today. And there are specific graces needed to be in the lineage of Abraham, for you to be a child of Abraham, it is faith and grace. And so you need those. To be Abraham's child, you need faith, and you can't have grace without, I mean, you can't have faith without the grace of God, because faith itself is the grace of God, lest any man should boast. So it depends on faith alone. 
Verse 16 is a contrasting paragraph to the negating paragraph, verse 13, and fifth, through 15, which is basically saying that it's not the law. It's not obedience. It's not you trying to obey. It is you believing in him who justifies the ungodly. It is you believing in Christ. So the preceding paragraph is to do with the law, the obedience of it, the transgression of it, and the wrath that comes out of that. But this paragraph before us is a more positive paragraph, and it's to do with faith, grace, promise, blessing, inheritance. These are the, thing, these are the things that we read off there in verse 16 and all the way to the end. So two questions out of these two verses. One, do you have faith? Do you have faith to be saved? And two, what is the quality of your faith? So the first question then, I'm going to show you three things that the inheritance depends on faith. And this is by grace. And it is because of God's promise. And then, insofar as the quality of your faith, we will compare it with the faith of Abraham and see what quality was Abraham's faith. So, verse 16a, that is why the Bible says it depends on faith. To depend on faith is the opposite of depending on the observance of the law. But the question is, what is the it there? What depends on faith? It is the inheritance, which is called it there, since it has already been spoken about in the previous verses. When it depends on faith, it depends on Christ. It depends on Christ's merit. It depends on grace. When it depends on faith, it does not depend on your personal merit, but it depends on the merit of our Savior Jesus Christ. When it depends on faith, there is absolute certainty that the merit of Christ will be given to you, will be counted to you, will be credited to you, will be imputed to you. And so there is assurance of faith. So, it depends on faith. And faith itself, if I may try to define it for you without going to Hebrews 11, faith is that quality of life that clings to 
and horns upon the promises of God in Christ. Faith rests, faith relies upon God and what he has said to us in his Son. Without God speaking, faith cannot be made. And Paul will make this point later when he says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ in chapter 10, verse 17. That's why we show you, we open up the Bible, we read it to you, we explain it to you, we preach it. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You believe what you hear. And saving faith believes what Christ has said in the scriptures. That's why then, what is written, that is our inheritance, the will of the Father has been set on ink and paper and the inheritance is promised therein. But you see, the inheritance would not be achievable without your faith. Because without faith, you cannot please God. And without faith, you cannot receive from God anything. Both the authors of the book of Hebrew and James say that very clearly. You must believe that he exists and is the rewarder of them that seek him. So the inheritance depends on faith. It may be faith that is as tiny as the mustard seed. It might be faith that is as weak as cobwebs, as a spider's thread. But if it, it's there, if that faith is there, it is begun by God, and it is enough to hold you all the way to the eternal inheritance. Faith is what you need to inherit eternal life. But the Bible says then that that's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. Faith refers, even defers, to grace. The, the two, that is faith and grace, always come together. For while God gives out, out of his mere good pleasure or out of his grace, and out of his mere grace, he grants faith to receive. So by grace, God gives, and by faith, you receive. That's the relationship. That which is given by grace is received by faith. Therefore, Paul tells the Ephesian church, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and obviously, this not of yourself. So the promise given by God's grace rests on God's grace so that no human being can boast. 
And therefore, faith itself is God's grace. It is evident that when the promise rests on grace, it is sure. It is guaranteed. You see, the covenant of works was not guaranteed. By covenant of works, I mean that when Abraham, uh, excuse me, when God spoke to Adam and said, you eat all these, but don't eat this. And if you do, then you shall die. And it was by his staying away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that he was to leave. But then you all know what happened. And with him brought us all down. The covenant of works, dependent on obedience, was not guaranteed. And there was not certainty. There was no assurance. And so eventually Adam fell into sin, being tempted by the devil. But if it had been a covenant of grace, grace would permanently secure it and thus guarantee it. So the inheritance depends on grace, or excuse me, on faith. Then the promise rests on grace, and the inheritance is guaranteed not to some offspring, but to all of, of his offspring, all Abraham's offspring. And be guaranteed, the Bible goes on to say, to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Not to the keepers of the law only, referring to the Jews, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. So all believers Abraham's offspring or Abraham's seed, they all belong to Abraham by faith. So obviously this is, uh, this is a lineage of faith rather than of blood, or rather it's not physical lineage. It's not by ordinary generation. It is by, it's not by biological descent. It is by faith. And you notice that the verse says that the promise received by faith through grace is assured, is guaranteed, it is secured, it is made sure. You know, all human religions that require works lack assurance. There is no way you can tell people do, 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 and all they can do is try, 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 and never really reaching perfection, and they get assured. And so all human religions lack Assurance. It's only where the gospel of free grace is proclaimed that assurance is possible. Talk to the Mormons. Talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
Talk to the SDAs too. Talk to the Catholics. Talk to all world religions. So long as there is that emphasis in works, do. There isn't going to be any assurance of salvation. It's only where there is grace. Assurance is guaranteed because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on another. Now, when I list all those denominations, I'm listing them generally based on their own confession of faith. If you look at their statements of faith, you would see what I'm talking about. Their, their religion, their faith is really not faith, it's works. And you would have some of their own confessions state such things like anyone who teaches that justification is by faith alone apart from the works shall be declared anathema. Go to the Roman Catholic confession and you'd see that. So, the good news from this verse is not just that there is assurance, it's that there is inclusivity of all believers regardless of their age or race or color. It says, not only to those who are described here as the, uh, the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith. It is not just guaranteed to some select few, but to all Abraham's offspring, whether circumcised or uncircumcised is the language used earlier on, whether Jews or Greeks, whether to young or old, to the rich or to the poor, so long as they share in the faith of Abraham. So the only condition is that they must have the saving faith that Abraham himself had. And uh, you, you notice here that Abraham is referred to as the father of us all. That's what he's called, the father of us all. And who are the us all? These are called those who believe without being circumcised in verse 11. They believe without being circumcised, without the law, without attempts at obeying the law. It's not those who depend on their personal righteousness and obedience, but those who believe in him who justifies the ungodly. When you believe in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to you. It becomes yours. And your sins becomes his. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And so you are declared righteous. You become the righteousness of God on his account. And would you notice also that the Bible says, or rather God told Abraham, quoting Genesis 17 verse 5, I will, no. It doesn't say, I will make you further of many nations. What does it say? 
What does it say? It says, I have made you the father of many nations. Wait a minute. How can it be I have made you the father of many nations as it is cited from Genesis 17.5 when there were no nations. I mean, were there any nations out of Abraham at the time when God was speaking to him? Or do you not pay attention to the tense of the verbs given as you read the scriptures? In God's eyes, the nations were as good as existing. Abraham did not become a father of many nations when those nations were established. Those nations of believers already existed in God's sight. He already called them. Abraham had already been constituted their father. You see, it doesn't even depend on Abraham himself. Insofar as the quality of faith, we need the faith like that of Abraham. But the actual faith is not in Abraham. It is in Christ. So the seed of Abraham are the true believers, the regenerate, the children of God. Those who are truly saved are the true heirs of the promised inheritance to Abraham and his offspring. This includes. You and I, and all who believe in Christ, and all, all who will ever believe in Christ. We belong to the lineage of Abraham by faith. We are his offspring. Not because of the blood of Abraham or our own blood, but because of the blood of Christ. We are the children of Abraham, not by merit, but by grace. We are the children of Abraham, not by Isaac, but by Christ. We are children of Abraham. And so like Lazarus, when we die, we shall be born by the angels to the Abraham's bosom as his own dear children. So let's consider then the quality of this faith. We've seen that the inheritance depends on faith, the promise rests on grace, the inheritance is guaranteed to all his offspring, whether they live in Kenya or in South Africa, whether they live in Mauritania or in Beijing, whether they are white or black, whoever they are, Jews and Gentiles, share in what God promised 
Abraham as his own children. So what's the quality of your faith then? The Lord says here in his words, the one who shares in the faith of Abraham. And in so doing, calls us to have a faith of the same nature and quality as that of Abraham. So what's that quality of Abraham's faith? Two things. First of all, the Bible says, as it is written, I'll make you the father of many nations. And look that clarification there with the heaven. Oh, is it the heaven? No, it's not heaven. It's dash. With the dash. In the presence of the God in whom he believed. Abraham lived in the presence of God. That's a marked quality of his faith. Abraham did not believe in nothing. He, his faith was not abstract faith. He believed in what is written. He lived in God's presence of uh, 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 the God who had written and the God who had given the promises. But he lived as one who was hearing from God present with him. He lived in God's presence. What is called Kuram Dio. To live Kuram Dio is to live in the fear and love of God as one who is present in every single situation. So genuine faith is a faith that is always aware of the presence of Yahweh. And so to live in the presence of God is to live to trust in Him. It is to depend on Him always, to serve Him as one who is seeing, to love Him, to obey Him, to fear Him with all heart and soul and mind and strength. And all that shows that this faith is committed to this one God. There is a full commitment to Christ in every thought and word and deed. You know, there are certain things that you do not do in the presence of your friend. Take, for example, two young people who are eyeing each other for marriage. There are things that they will not do when they are together because if they did them, then it may be the doom of their relationship. There are things that they would not say, and their lips would be well girded when they are together because that's a way you should try to show yourself to be worthy your salt. 
And so I, t I tell young people, don't measure her, don't measure him by his conduct around the coffee table. Because when you are together, that is called room temperature. Everyone is at their best. And, uh, but then, get to see them in other contexts where other people are. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that you shouldn't try to put your, yourself together when you're in the presence of people. That's in order. That's respectable. If we all conducted ourselves in the same way we conduct ourselves when we are by ourselves, it may look very, very awkward. Uh, now, I'm not saying that you be hypocrites. I'm, I'm just saying that there is what is called polite public. And you have to conduct yourself publicly in a different way that you would be. I mean, look at the way you're dressed. just proves it. The way you're dressed at church is different from the way you're dressed in your bedroom, right? So there, is a, so there is a difference. So the understanding then that we are always in the presence of God should determine how we conduct ourselves in his presence. Because God does not withdraw when you are in the bathroom or when you are in the church. You know, he doesn't show up only at church, or does he? Do we not believe in the omnipresent God? So our faith then demonstrates that we believe that God is all-seeing, all-hearing, all-knowing, whatever, whenever, however we are. That's a point of making. To live as you are in the presence of God. To depend on him, to trust him, to serve him, to love him, to obey him, to fear him with all heart, soul, and mind, and strength in every thought, word, and deed. That's living Huram Dio in his presence. And as soon as we know that we are in the presence of God, there must be that deep awareness of his infinite holiness and of our awful depravity. And so that we are constantly repenting of our sins. abasing ourselves in his presence in humility. Not distrusting his, his promises or doubting his royal decrees. There is no faith where there is no constant awareness of God's presence, God's word and God's works. So I ask you, would God laugh at your jokes? 
Or would you be embarrassed to joke in his presence? Would God approve of your spending? Would God approve what you do in private? Because he is all seeing. Does he approve? And you will know because your conscience is either accusing you or excusing you. That's what the Bible says, and Paul has already said that earlier. Abraham's faith was especially demonstrated by the shining of God's word. And the Bible says, as it is written, I will make you the father of many nations. What? Make me a father of many nations? When my wife is barren? When I am 100 years old? You must be kidding. No, that's not Abraham. That's not Abraham to think like that. He knew that if God has said it, then it shall be. Abraham believed when God told him, I will make you the father of many nations. He believed that God is able to do what he said he will do. Yes. There is nothing that is impossible with God, is what Abraham was thinking. Faith in God is not just trusting him to do what we want him to do for us. Faith in God is especially demonstrated when we trust him to say no to our prayers. It is knowing that he is here, listening, even though we do not see him or hear him. It is waiting for his answers even when they seem to be delaying, even when they seem to be too late. In faith, we trust him to weave blessings out of trials and out of grief to evolve bliss. In faith, we know that even when he is withholding, he is giving in his own appointed way and time. Blessings suited for our, for our day. Let me ask you, how many answers to your prayers have lasted 100 years? Like Abraham. Prayed for something. When you were one. And a hundred years down the line. You still have not received it. That's Abraham's faith. He waited. God is able. He will also. Not only give you blessings suited for your day. But he will give them. In his appointed time. And he's in his appointed manner. So Abraham's faith lived in God's presence. And then secondly and lastly, Abraham believed in God who, who gives life to the dead. 
Abraham believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I know the charismatic preachers get hold of that verse. And you know what they do with it. They butcher it. They tell you that just like God calls into existence the things that do not exist, so can you. And that's a demonstration of your faith. So name it and claim it. It's the mark of your faith, they said. No, that's not faith. Faith is not God doing what you want him to do. Faith is trusting God to do with you whatever he wants to do with you. And knowing that it is good and rejoicing in it. So Abraham knew that God does not fail when he has given a promise. He knew that God being sovereign, he is omnipotent. He knew that God will do what he promised and he waited for it in full trust and full confidence that God will do it. Not because he so desperately wanted it, but because God had promised to do it. That's a difference. When God promises it, he will surely do it. But please, when we are desperate for something that we want God to do for us, and we are thinking, yes, I must have it, and I must, I must fast for 40 days, dry fasting for 40 days, and push, pray until something happens. And that's the demonstration, that's supposed to be the demonstration of your faith. You will hurt yourself. You will hurt yourself. You can even starve yourself to death. Be careful with that, that, kind, uh, that kind of uh, thinking. By all means, pray. By all means, fast. But also, by all means, trust that God will give you the blessing suited for you. If you're trusting the Lord to provide a spouse for you, by all means, pray. By all means, wait. But by all means, trust that God will do what is the best for you. If in God's frame of things, you are a better saint and married, then God will do exactly that. And in eternity, he will show you why. That is faith. The basis or the measure of our faith is not that God will do our bidding. Is that God will do his bidding. 
even though Abraham's body was as good as dead, and even though his wife Sarah's womb was beyond procreation, yet the Bible says that they did not waver. Not because they were desperate for a kid, but because God had said he will give them a kid. The Bible says here, he did not weaken in his faith, even with the knowledge of the state of his body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, the Bible says that no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, to do what he had promised. This was the quality of Abraham's faith. This was the quality of faith that Abraham had. The making alive of Sarah's womb and the conception of Isaac's, uh, Isaac's line through whom Christ was descended bodily made Abraham become the father of many nations, whereby the Jews and the Gentiles they as theirs uh, there, that is Paul, including the Romans, Paul and company, and Paul and the, and the Romans, and Paul and us are included. And we Gentiles were graft, grafted by God's redemptive power into the commonwealth of Israel. So Abraham believed in God who gives life to the dead. I can only, I can only imagine what a charismatic preacher will, would do with this text. He would tell you to claim it and psych you up to believe that God who raises the dead is able to resurrect your business, that God is able to, to give you children, God is able to, of course God is able to resurrect your business and to give you children, but the question is, has he promised it? in his word. Because the quality of your faith is not just in God doing your bidding, what you want, but in depending on God to do what he wants with you and you are submitted to his will. You are not distrusting his will. Let me say four things out of this text in terms of application to you. First of all, There are only two methods of justification. One works, the other one doesn't. There are only two ways of being declared righteous by God. The first method is in you trying to obey perfectly the law of God, and I can assure you that you will fail miserably. It doesn't work. And that's what we had in our Sunday school class this morning. Two men went up to pray at the temple. The Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee was not like everyone else. 
He was not a wicked man. He was not a swindler. He was not a thief. He said. He was fasting twice a week. And he was giving a tithe of everything he had. So he appeared before God to tell him, Lord, look at me. I have obeyed you perfectly. But what does the Bible say? He was rejected. He was condemned. Instead, we have the tax collector who had nothing, zero. His religion was zero. He had not been to church. And this may have been the first time he was going to the temple for all we know. He barely could lift up his hand and he could not come to the front. All he could utter was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Bible says he was justified. He was declared righteous. Only two ways of justification. It's either you have the merit for you to be declared righteous or you depend on someone else's merit. And the only substitutionary merit acceptable to God for you is the merit of Christ, not yours. Say that through faith, by grace, in Christ, that perfect righteousness comes to us. Yet we know that no one can obtain the grace and even the grade of perfection which would bring about personal justification apart from Christ. So, what side are you? Are you trying to obey the law? Or are you, trying, are you trusting in Christ? The only one sure method of being declared righteous by God is through faith in Christ. And you believe in Christ today, and you are saved today. You're declared righteous today. And forever. Number two, faith is the only sure way of obtaining grace. In as much as many people and human invented religions have alternative methods of justification, their consciences bear witness that this method is not trustworthy. There can be no assurance in any human methods and means. There, are only, there is only one sure way of justification as demonstrated by Abraham. And it is by God's grace which is obtained and received by faith in Christ alone. And the basis of your assurance is not what you have done, but what Christ Jesus has done in you. No religion, no human religion offers a sure way of atonement of sins. Only our most holy faith does. So, be gone unbelief. The Lord is near. 
Thirdly, the quality of your faith is important. What's the quality of your faith? Is your faith as soft as cheese? Or is it as strong and hard as diamond? Do you have short-lived faith or eternal faith? Do you trust in God to accomplish His will in you? Or do you trust God to do your will? What trials, what waiting crumbles your faith? What is the quality of your faith? Unless the object of your faith is God, unless the substance of your faith is the word of God, unless your faith is anchored in the promises of God, unless your faith is in Christ alone, then you lack faith. Saving faith is that which is fixed on Christ, the older and the perfecter of our faith. It is faith that depends on Christ. True faith that repents of sin by confessing and turning away from those sins. What's the quality of your faith? I ask you. Are you content to have faith that never grows, faith that never germinates? It's just a mustard seed and only a mustard seed. It doesn't increase. It doesn't become strong. It doesn't multiply. It doesn't germinate. It doesn't grow. Is that your faith? Now, mustard-sized faith is good faith, but it's not good enough. You need to have faith growing. Hearing the word of God and obeying the word of God as the Lord enables you. And finally, lastly, being offspring of Abraham is the highest privilege there is under the sun. A good family name is to be cherished above the rubies. But the best name and the highest Privilege is to belong to God and bear the name of Christ. To be adopted into God's family is the most wonderful honor that can be bestowed upon a hell-deserving sinner. One who is a child of wrath, by God's grace, becomes a child of God. One who was destined to hell is made by grace to be heir of grace as heir of God and fellow heir with Christ. What a privilege, what a great honor and blessing that is. My prayer then is that your faith has been grown through the preaching of God's word, that your faith has been strengthened 
even though you're going through trials, that your faith is better off now than it was when we began. That, but that your faith is alone. You're not depending on anything else. And yet your faith is not alone. It's bearing fruit. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray that, Lord, we would receive your word with meekness. The implanted word which is able to save our souls. That we would pray that you may increase our faith like the disciples did. That we would yearn for the growth and the maturity of our faith. So that we may grow to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So do hear us, Lord, for we ask in Christ's name.